distraction. If you can't raise your hand and say, oh my God, I can't get work done because people are constantly interrupting me. If you can't talk about that problem, that is the problem. When you work in a place where you have high expectations coupled with low control, let me say that again, high expectations, but low control, that is the type of work environment that leads to depression and anxiety disorders. Okay. Now, half your audience right now, if not more, is saying, holy crap, that's, that's where I work. Okay. Because that's the sad state of affairs that most people work in places where they have super high expectations and very little agency and control of how to meet those expectations. By the way, incidentally, studies find that when people have high expectations and high control, no problem. This is where people flourish. This is where people are at their best. This is where people perform to their le to their, their utmost level. It's when we have high expectations with low control. This is the kind of workplace where people uh, find we find more uh, cases of anxiety and depression disorder. And what do we do when we feel more anxiety and depression? We just talked about those internal triggers. That feels bad. What do we do when we feel bad? We look for escape from discomfort. And in the corporate setting, what do people do? You know what they do. They call more stupid meetings that didn't need to be called that are, are for no other purpose other than the escape of having to do the actual work that you have to do. They send more superfluous emails that waste everybody's time. Why? Because it makes them feel in control. They're so desperate for agency to feel like they're doing something that they spend all day calling and attending meetings, all day on the phone, all day checking email, and very little of their time actually doing the kind of reflective work that can only be done without distraction. I see this time and time again. So this is the conclusion. Distraction in the workplace is a symptom of cultural dysfunction. Let me say that again. Distraction in the workplace is a symptom of cultural dysfunction. If you can't talk about this problem of distraction, if you can't raise your hand and say, oh my God, I can't get work done because people are constantly interrupting me. If you can't talk about that problem, that is the problem. Welcome to Anatomy of a Leader podcast with me, Maria Vorostovsky. I'm the founder and CEO of HVO Search. Founders, CEOs, and lone HR directors hire me when they feel stuck and under pressure to hire the right senior leaders who will transform their companies. I'm on a mission to discover what makes a great leader, the skills they have, and what really drives them to dissect what success looks like and what it takes to get to the very top. My aim is to bring to you leadership stories of entrepreneurs, founders, CEOs, investors, authors, leaders from all walks of life, the failures they faced, what they wish they knew before they started, and the hurdles they had to overcome. If you want to be inspired, surprised, and feel like you're not alone in your struggles towards the very top, you're in the right place here on Anatomy of a Leader. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate, review, and subscribe to make sure you don't miss a single episode. It will challenge the way you think and may even change your life. In episode seven, after some technical difficulties connecting the video interview with a clubhouse room, I finally managed to speak with Nir Ayal, the best-selling author of Hooked and Indistractable. I first came across Nir in 2016 and have been a huge fan ever since. So you can imagine my excitement actually to talk to him. I literally swallowed his book, Indistractable, which is all about breaking bad habits. And I wanted to understand how distractions affect our leaders and our work environments. So my main takeaway was that time management is pain management, that everything we do is to escape discomfort, that technology isn't to blame, and that everything comes down to culture, which filters down from the top. This means leaders need to exemplify being indistractable. We spoke about email management, time boxing, most toxic environments, and three things that make organizations productive. How saying no is the worst advice ever, what saved Nir's marriage, and what he himself slips up on. He is human after all. Although I did have my doubts after the email exchanges I had with him. Nir is a force with incredible insights and practical tips on how to get into flow and break bad habits. Well, listen to the full episode seven and discover it for yourself. And thank you so much for, for coming on to the show. And as I said, I've been a huge admirer of yours. I mean, you're a behavioral designer. You study 
how we humans use technology and just human behavior in general. You're the best-selling mm-hmm. author of Hooked, which is a book that I'm still reading. I haven't finished that, which, as you say, is a book about good habits and creating good habits. And then Indistractable, which is what we're talking about today, which is a book about breaking bad habits. I mean, habits for me in general, I'm just fascinated with with the topic. And constantly, as I'm sure, you know, lots of listeners here today are always thinking about, you know, ways that they can be making their habits better. And, you know, you write about technology, of course, you, you know, psychology, business, you know, you've been writing for the likes of Harvard Business Review, TechCrunch, Psychology Today, all these incredible places and do a lot of these talks. So, you know, I've been trying to think about some of the questions that maybe you haven't been asked, which is really tough because you kind of have an answer for everything. Um, but, um, but yeah, as I said, you know, I've been a huge fan of yours since 2016, which is when I've been subscribing to your email newsletter, which is called Near and Far. So I highly recommend for everyone to, um, to sign up to that. Uh, just great reading. And I know you offer some like, really great advice about other articles as well, which is super interesting. So needless to say, I was very nervous about speaking with you. Um, and of all the things that could have gone wrong in the beginning, it, it all went wrong today. But, um, but part, <laughs> of know, why, no <laughs> part of why I was scared is that, and you might not actually want to hear this, is that you're so efficient at using technology and obviously all the tips that you talk about, you know, how to manage that in your book, uh, but also in our email communication, because up until this point, we haven't actually sort of spoken to each other. At one point, I you, you remember this, is that, I sent an email and I got a response back and I wasn't sure if it was you responding or whether it was an automated message. And I had to like (laughs) email you and say, is this really you? So I wasn't sure if you've replaced yourself with a robot. So this is partly why I'm scared. (laughs) Take it easy on me, okay? (laughs) Um, Well, you know, it's it's interesting that, you know, part of the process of becoming indistractable, uh, the net result is that when I'm on, I'm really on. Right. Mm. That like when I happen to get an email during my email flush time, which is scheduled on my calendar, as opposed to checking it all day long, then, yeah, I'm pretty close to inbox zero most of the time uh, because of this methodology. I mean, I've I've utilized this indistractable model uh, to reduce the amount of time I spend by email by about 90 percent. I've reduced wow. it dramatically because of the techniques that I that I uh, uncovered and share in my book, Indistractable. Now, that's not to say I started that way by the way. So don't be intimidated because let me tell you, uh, I I didn't write this book because I had the answers. I wrote this book because I needed the answers. I was just about the most distracted person you'd ever met. I was, uh, I used to be at one point in my life clinically obese uh, because I wasn't exercising when I said I would. I wasn't eating right, even though I said I would. Uh, I would get into the office and I would say, okay, I'm going to definitely work on that big project and I'm not going to get distracted. And yet somehow 20, 30, 45 minutes later, I was working on Everything but the thing I said I was going to work on, checking emails, scrolling Slack, looking at Facebook, checking the news, doing all these things that I, I, I knew were taking me off track from a big project. And uh, it, it wasn't until I decided, wait a minute, this is not working, right? That my attention and my time seems to be controlled by other people. And at the end of the day, I, I feel busy all day. I feel like I've been working hard. And yet I didn't accomplish what I said I was going to do with my time. And day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, it, it got to be too much. And I, ironically, here's the funny part. When I wrote my first book, Hooked, uh, I didn't have this problem as much because I wasn't all that busy, right? I had sold my last company. I had some time on my hands. Uh, it was after I published my first book that I was uh, getting calls for speaking engagements and consulting work and angel investments and uh, you know all kinds of awesome opportunities that suddenly I became so busy, I couldn't commit to the things. I couldn't follow through on the things that had made me successful in the first place, namely writing and spending quality time with the people I love. Mm. And all that kind of was was fell out from underneath me, and I wasn't devoting the time that I needed to to the various areas of my life, per what we spoke about earlier around living our values, uh, because I was becoming more successful. And how ironic is that? And so that's why I desperately needed this solution for how do I – finally control my attention so that I can choose my life. But I want to reassure you, uh, it wasn't, uh, I wasn't born this way. I, I had to learn these techniques. It took me five, here, I'll, I'll prove it to you. It took me five years to write Indistractable, five years. You know why? 
because I kept getting distracted <laughs> in the process of writing the book. It wasn't until I uncovered this research and finally put together a model of, you know, the, the research that I talk about in the book. This isn't my own research. This is decades old stuff that's been, you know, stuck in, in academia and in the ivory tower of academia so that the lay people like you and like, like me, frankly, <laughs> that we couldn't access this stuff. In, so I spent five years digesting it and and uh, uh, making it into a model that anyone can use to become indistractable. Mm. I have a I have a really stupid question um, to ask. No, you. no stupid questions, Maria. Only stupid answers. So I leave mean, that to me. Well, you talk about traction being the opposite of distraction. I mean, yeah. And my, you know, is there a benefit to being distracted? I mean, my therapist says that our brains don't do anything that doesn't make sense. So is there any sense to being distracted? And can you unpack what traction means? Sure, sure. Okay, so let's let's start from the beginning here with the, what is the word distraction all about? Uh, it's very important that we get our definition straight. So uh, distraction was not a word that I actually really understood the meaning of. And the reason I know that was because I couldn't tell you the proper antonym, right? If you want to know if you really know something, Ask yourself, what is the opposite of that thing? Most people will tell you the opposite of distraction is focus, but that is not true. The opposite of distraction is not focus. The opposite of distraction is traction, that both words come from the same Latin root, trahare, which means to pull. And you'll notice that both words, traction and distraction, end in the same six letters. A-C-T-I-O-N spells action, reminding us that traction I'm sorry, that, reminding us that distraction is not something that happens to us. Distraction is an action we take. So traction, by definition, is any action that pulls you towards what you said you were going to do, things that move you closer to your values and help you become the kind of person you want to become. Those are acts of traction. Mm. Distraction is anything else, anything that is not what you plan to do, anything that pulls you away from your, your values, that pulls you further away from becoming the kind of person you want to become. Those are acts of distraction. Now, Anything can be either of those two things, traction or distraction, based on one word. And that one word is intent, right? The time you plan to waste is not wasted time. So don't listen to these chicken little tech critics who tell you technology is hijacking your brain, that it's addicting you. There's nothing you can do about it. Rubbish. Don't believe that garbage. You are far more powerful than these technologies if you know how to become indistractable. And listen, there's nothing wrong with using Facebook or Instagram or YouTube or Clubhouse for that matter. They're all fine as long as you use it according to your schedule and your values, not somebody else's. And conversely, anything can be distraction, right? Like I told you about earlier, just because you sit down at your desk and you're checking email, you can still be distracted because that is not what you plan to do with your time. If you plan to work on a big project and instead you're checking email for the hundredth time because you don't know what else to do with your time, that's a distraction, even if it is a work-related task. Mm -hmm. So, okay, we've got traction and we've got distraction. Now to answer your question about, well, why do we get distracted in the first place? What prompts us towards distraction? We have two kinds of triggers. We have external triggers. These are the usual suspects, the pings, the dings, the rings, anything in our outside environment that leads us towards distraction or traction. But that's about 10% of the reason you get distracted. Studies have actually found that in time studies of how people spend their time, how they react to their phones, only 10% of the time that you check your phone, are you checking it because of a ping, ding, or ring? Well, what's the other 90%? The other 90%, and this gets to your question, the other 90% of the time that we get distracted, we get distracted because of an internal trigger. What is an internal trigger? An internal trigger is an uncomfortable emotional state that we seek to escape. Loneliness, fatigue, uncertainty, stress, anxiety. It is our inability to cope with discomfort in a healthy, helpful fashion that leads us towards distraction rather than traction. So to answer your question, why does the brain do that? Because everything you do, every action, every behavior you do throughout your day is done for one reason and one reason only. We used to think it was about pleasure and pain, right? Carrots and sticks. Nuh-uh, it's not true. Neurologically speaking, everything you do, you do for only one reason and one reason only, and that is the desire to escape discomfort. Everything you do is about a desire to escape discomfort. So to the brain, the brain just wants to get out of pain. So you're feeling lonely. Hop over to Facebook. 
you're feeling uncertain about something. Well, check the news. The news will give you certainty, right? Tell you what's going to happen in the world. It doesn't, but it makes you feel like it does, right? That's that's their business model. Uh, if you feel bored, oh, you know, let's let's go check Reddit, stock prices, sports scores, lots of things to take our mind off our problems by helping us not feel bored through entertainment. So what we're doing fundamentally is escaping discomfort. Now, to answer that first part of your question, there's nothing good about distraction. Nothing good about distraction. Why? Because by definition, distraction is any action that pulls you away from what you plan to do. What is good is a diversion. There's nothing wrong with diversion. Diversion is just a refocusing of attention. So when you go to see a movie, you are diverting your attention from the real world to this silver screen with you know flashing images on top. You know it's not real. It's a manipulation of reality, but we do that because it's fun to divert our attention away from real life for a little bit. And it's great. There's nothing wrong with it. We shouldn't judge video games or a movie or meditation or prayer as, as you know, somehow morally inferior to anything that you want to do with your time as long as it's done with intent. So diversions, as long as it's done with intent, is great. Distraction, nothing good about that. Yeah, I mean, one of the main messages that I took away from your book was this idea of time management is pain management. And I never really yeah. thought about it this way, even though, I mean, I studied psychology and one of the main things, you know, we kind of learning about was, you know, we're running away from pain, you know, as well as sort of running towards pleasure. But what you're saying is actually it's much more one than the other. So all of our life is really designed to kind of avoid discomfort. And this idea of, you know, and it's really difficult to identify what that discomfort actually is. And we kind of have all of these tools, especially now that technology is, you know, allowing us to, you know, to do that, to be just distracted constantly. I mean, one of the things that I talk about a lot is is leadership. So the, the aspect of kind of leading others and what does leadership mean? So let's talk about distraction when it comes to that. So, you know, in a world where there's, you know, so many things that could be taking up your time, you know, you're a CEO or you're a founder, you know, you have to be leading your business, you have to lead yourself, you have to lead your team. Um, I know you talk about something called the shiny pony phenomenon, um, well, first of all, can you unpack that? And then what is the impact on companies and individuals uh, when it comes to destruction? Like, what's the bigger picture here? Sure. Yeah, so so there's a few things here to unpack. So one, we can become indistractable ourselves. And particularly if you are a leader of an organization, if you if you manage others, it is absolutely imperative that you become indistractable because culture flows downhill. It's like water. And so people within an organization look to management to see how you act, and they will act accordingly. And so when it comes to building an indistractable work, uh, workplace, there are three factors we have to consider that it has nothing to do with technology. We like to think that, oh, it's email and Slack and our cell phones. That's why we get distracted. And it turns out that's not true. That we found in these surveys that it doesn't matter how much technology a company uses, uh, it has no bearing on how distracted people feel. It's all about the company culture. And specifically, there is research that shows that there is a type of workplace environment that literally drives us crazy. And I don't use that word lightly. We know that there is a causal effect with a type of workplace environment that has the confluence of two factors that leads to, and this is very rare to find in, a social, in, in, in the social sciences, a causal effect, not just a correlation, but a causal effect, that when there is a confluence of two factors, when you work in a place where you have high expectations coupled with low control, let me say that again, high expectations, but low control, that is the type of work environment that leads to depression and anxiety disorders, okay? Now, half your audience right now, if not more, is saying, holy crap, that's, that's where I work, okay? Because that's the sad state of affairs, that most people work in places where they have super high expectations and very little agency and control of how to meet those expectations. By the way, incidentally, Studies find that when people have high expectations and high control, no problem. This is where people flourish. This is where people are at their best. This is where people perform to their, to their, their utmost level. It's when we have high expectations with low control, this is the kind of workplace where people uh, find, we find more uh, cases of anxiety and depression disorder. And what do we do when we feel more anxiety and depression? We just talked about those internal triggers. That feels bad. What do we do when we feel bad? We look for escape 
from discomfort. And in the corporate setting, what do people do? You know what they do. They call more stupid meetings that didn't need to be called that are, are for no other purpose other than the escape of having to do the actual work that you have to do. They send more superfluous emails that waste everybody's time. Why? Because it makes them feel in control. They're so desperate for agency to feel like they're doing something that they spend all day calling and attending meetings, all day on the phone, all day checking email, and very little of their time actually doing the kind of reflective work that can only be done without distraction. I see this time and time again. So this is the conclusion. Distraction in the workplace is a symptom of cultural dysfunction. Let me say that again. Distraction in the workplace is a symptom of cultural dysfunction. If you can't talk about this problem of distraction, if you can't raise your hand and say, oh my God, I can't get work done because people are constantly interrupting me. If you can't talk about that problem, that is the problem. That is the problem, that you can't raise your hand without fear of getting fired and talk about this problem. And when organizations come to grips that distraction in the workplace is a symptom of cultural dysfunction and that the remedy is to talk about it, guess what? They find solutions very, very quickly. And so what it takes in an organization to become indistractable is three things. Number one, psychological safety. The safety to know that I can talk about this problem without getting fired or reprimanded, right? That's number one. Number two, a forum to talk about these problems, that people have a place to raise these concerns. And then number three, we touched on it earlier, leadership that exemplifies what it means to be indistractable. I cannot tell you, Maria, how many times I've been called into doing these very expensive projects for companies. I'm called in as a consultant to show them how to be indistractable. I get into my first meeting. This is back before uh, COVID when we could travel around. I'd walk into the boardroom and we'd have 50 people in the room and everybody's going to hear my presentation. And guess who's in the back of the room doing some important stuff on their phone? I've been there. <laughs> the big, the yeah. big boss, mm -hmm. the big important boss, mm -hmm. right? It's not the junior people. They're respectful. Mm -hmm. It's the big boss who wants to show everybody how important they are. That's that, that's I could I could walk out of the presentation right there because I know exactly what's the problem. Everybody looks at the big boss and says, well, if she's on her phone all day long, well, then she expects me to be on my phone all day long. And that culture of responsiveness is the toxic problem that everybody sees what others are doing. And it becomes like secondhand smoke, right? You you think, oh, well, you know, she's on her email. She's on her he's on her, his device. So I better get on, too, because I've got emails waiting for me, too. And pretty soon we have these ridiculous meetings that I call zombie gatherings. Zombie gatherings are when people are around a table and the warm bodies are in the room, but the brains are somewhere else. There's no brains in the room because they're concentrating on their email or whatever else they're checking on their device. Why the heck do we have those meetings, right? Yeah. And so I show you systematically how to change your company culture into one that, that promotes indistractability. I think when you see your boss on the phone, it also sends a message to the rest of the team that you're just not important. I mean, I know you talk about, yes. you know, when you have that moment, when you realize that actually distraction is causing really difficult things in your life was when you were with your daughter and, mm -hmm. you know, you, you were, it was your day together and you were supposed to be, you know, doing this game about, you know, what's your superpower and you couldn't hear it. And I think this is exactly mm -hmm. the same thing that's happening within the work environment is like if you wanted to be hurt, and if you wanted to, you know, get your ideas heard, the boss is too distracted. And when you're talking about fostering psychological safety, which is the number one most important thing, and we talk about it a lot, um, you're not having that. You're not creating that. Um, That's right. That's in terms right. of other skills that you think that we need in our leaders, I mean, obviously, you know, staying on traction, you know, not being on your phone. What other skills would you say we need in our leaders now? So it's really first and foremost about becoming indistractable yourself. So we talked about a couple of those steps. Number one is mastering the internal triggers. As you mentioned earlier, time management is pain management. That's one of the central principles of the book. We have to, it's not just get off your phone, right? It's not that simple. We have, we have to stop blaming the technology because look, if it's not the phone, it's, uh, you know, a shot of whiskey. <laughs> if it's not a shot of whiskey, it's checking stock prices. If it's not, I mean, you know, there's, there's such a thing as workaholism, right? Workaholism is characterized by an escape from reality into work. I Just because that. something is productive doesn't mean it's not an escape from reality. Yeah. So it's, and, and there's nothing wrong with work. Just like there's nothing wrong with being on your phone as long as you control it and you don't let it control you. 
It's about your values. It's about spending time according to what you say you're going to do with your time and attention, not letting your time and attention be controlled and manipulated by others. So after we master those internal triggers, the second step is to make time for traction. Now, making time for traction, we talked a little bit earlier about it, is, is all about turning your values into time. There's a reason that we use the same words to talk about time as we do talk about, as we talk about money, right? We spend money just like we spend time. We make money just like we make time. We pay attention just like we pay with dollars and cents. And yet when it comes to our time, we just give it out to everybody. It's like standing on the street corner and saying, hey, here's $100. Here's some euro. Here, everybody, take my time. Take my money. It's the same thing. So we have to be very judicious about how we spend our time. And one of the practices that uh, all of us should adopt these days is called time boxing. And this isn't something I invented. This has been in thousands of peer-reviewed studies for decades. It's all about making a schedule for your day. Toss that to-do list. Don't run your life on a to-do list. What you need is a schedule. To-do lists have been shown to be one of the worst things you can do for your personal productivity. And just to be very clear, I'm not saying don't write things down. It's good to write things down. But if you don't put time in your calendar to do those things and you just magically expect them to get done, you're going to lose, right? You're going to, you're, you're going to, you're going to, you're not going to do those things because there's no constraint to a to-do list. So not only do we want to make that to-do, uh, that, that time box schedule, the beauty of this technique is that now you will have a physical artifact. Now, why is this so important? Because when you have a time box calendar, you can share that calendar with the stakeholders in your life. What does that look like? One of the worst pieces of personal productivity advice that we hear all the time drives me nuts. If you want to be more focused, if you want to be less distracted, you have to learn how to say no. What kind of stupid advice? What only a professor who's never had a real job can say that kind of stupid advice? You're going to go to your boss, the person who pays your bills, the person who cuts your check, and you're going to say, you know what, boss? No, I don't want to do that. That's going to be your last day at work. You're going to get fired. Okay. A much better way is to sh sit down with your boss, plan 15 minutes a week. It's all it, all it takes where you sit down with your boss and you do what I call a schedule sync. A schedule sync is when you take that, that physical artifact, right? You can do this virtually too, but you know, back when we're, when we're back in the office, you can print out your schedule, take it to your boss and say, Hey, look, boss, Here's how I'm going to spend my time at work, okay? I've got meeting here. I've got project there. You see all these things on my calendar? This is how I'm going to spend my week ahead. Now, you see this other list here? Here are all the things that you've asked me to do that I'm having trouble fitting in my calendar. Help me reprioritize. Help me reprioritize. You're not saying no. You're asking them to help them help you do your job by asking them to do their most important job, which is prioritization. One of the biggest problems we have in management and leadership is that leaders almost no, uh, have no idea what their staff is doing. And they're too afraid to ask because they don't want to micromanage them. So this is called managing up, right? This is what we should be doing voluntarily to show our managers, hey, here's how I'm going to spend my time. Help me reprioritize. And almost every time you'll do this, your manager is going to say, hey, you know what? That thing that you have on your calendar, that's actually way less important than the other thing you don't have on your calendar. Let's flip those out. And in 15 minutes a week, this will change your life. It's also fantastic for domestic responsibilities. It, it basically saved my marriage. My wife and I would always argue about household responsibilities. Uh, and I would always ask her, I'd say, honey, you know, if you want me to do something, just tell me. And what I didn't realize is that I was giving her yet another job, which is to be my babysitter, right? To be it's my camp counselor and tell me load. what to do. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's adding more work on her plate to tell me what to do. So what do we do? Once a week, we sit down. Again, 15 minutes, it takes almost no time. And we do a schedule sync. And so I know, okay, I'm gonna pick up my daughter then. I have responsibilities to do the, the, the cooking for the week now. You know, I know exactly where everything goes. And that small practice is a life-changing initiative. So schedule syncing by making time for traction, that's step number two. Step number three is hacking back the external triggers. And this is where we go through all the details, the nitty gritty of, how do we reduce our email time? How do we hack back meetings? How do we hack back feeds? I tell you systematically how to go through all those. The fourth step, this is where we build a firewall against distraction, the last line of defense. It's where we make a pact, a promise with ourselves or others to make sure that in that moment of temptation, we don't go off track. And so if you use these four steps in concert, mastering internal triggers, making time for traction, hacking back external triggers and preventing distraction with packs. Those are the four strategies. That's the most important thing. If you leave this conversation memorizing those four strategies, 
Everything else is tactics, right? Mm. Tactics are what you do. Strategy is why you do it. So know the strategies. You'll come up with the tactics. But guiding, you know, what 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 was so important about the research that I did was systematizing all this great research into four strategies, and then the tactics come underneath. So that's the four steps to becoming indistractable. I think that's sort of, you know, self-reflection piece when you talk about, you know, knowing your why and the values and, you know, having, you know, that self-reflection is really important to to be able to actually structure your time. I do want to go back on the time boxing aspect because this is something that I have been doing for some time and I've kind of had, you know, mixed mixed review, like results based on that. Um and which is the principle of basically just scheduling the things into your diary that you want to do. Um, mm-hmm. So when I was reading your book, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go completely for it and, you know, do it as, you know, as best as I possibly can. And I got so overwhelmed that I had to take three days off because I was just like, <laughs> uh, yeah, I was just totally overwhelmed with this whole thing. And that kind of mm. got me thinking, well, first of all, I kind of underestimated how long things will take. And I've packed so much mm. into my calendar that it was just not a chance in hell that it was ever going to happen and then the other thing was actually you know when we talk about you know the distraction when I actually came to doing it I found lots of it's either that the things that were causing me pain before were making things take longer uh, which meant that I wasn't able to actually fit them into my diary so what I've realized actually is that it requires time boxing actually this is my kind of thoughts now is like it requires two different skills one which is planning about you know kind of seeing what you need to be doing for the future and then the second thing of actually you know sticking to it and you know kind of cutting things out so i have gone yeah. really all in into you know removed everything from my desktop now i have an inspirational quote um i have um what else did i do i've um actually restarted my computer because my friends would laugh like i never do that because there's just so many tabs (laughs) and so many things that are going on and i already didn't really have my notifications on my phone all that much but i have um um, just you've completely scaled that down and just but the part that i think is genius and i think that is the one that works for me because you know, I don't know if you know of Gretchen Rubin's work, but she has, you know, yeah, four, te- has four, four tendencies. And I yeah. surprisingly discovered that I'm a rebel and rebels kind of, you know, they don't want to be kind of boxed in. They don't want to be, you know, told what to do by others, but also themselves. Like if I, even if themselves, I tell myself right. that I, you know, as you talk about, you know, somebody from the past, all of a sudden telling you what to do, like I yeah. fight it with all my being, but the part of being the identity of being indistractable is what really speaks to me. So when I come mm. in to step into that role of uh, I am this person, that I am indestructible, then that makes a massive impact to me. And I think that part is, totally. like, is genius. So I just, you know, as you say, like I am that special unicorn that, you know, like I need spontaneity a little bit in my life when it comes to time yeah. boxing. But um, one of the things I started doing is actually, I know, I think you say that not to do that, but having some white space in there to allow me. No, 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 that's, mm. no, no, it's, it's, it's actually essential. So, so the, here's the thing. So with time boxing, uh, it is the only process where we get a feedback loop on how long things take us. Mm-hmm. So the, the, mm-hmm. what people learn when they start time boxing, as opposed to just keeping a to-do list and running their life on a to-do list, is that now they start to realize how long things really take. Yeah. And remember, it's not like those things didn't take that long before. You just had no idea how long they would take. Because what most people do, what I used to do, is procrastinate to the last minute ruin my life because I would be so stressed and thinking and thinking and thinking about this thing that I've been procrastinating on until the very last minute and then try and do it. And of course, the work product is crap compared to what I could have done if I just put a little bit of time into it every day. It would have been much, much, much better. So the beauty of time boxing, again, I didn't invent this technique. It's been around for decades, is that it is the only way for you to understand how long things realistically take. We have what's called a planning bias. The planning, sorry, the planning fallacy. The planning fallacy shows that on average, a task will take someone three times longer than they predict. Mm-hmm. All people, you, me, everyone, we are terrible at predicting how long things will take. So the only way to get a realistic assessment of how long things will take is to plan consistent forward motion on that task. You cannot build a great physique by working out in the gym for a week. You cannot have a great relationship by taking someone on a wonderful date once, 
right? You can't build a great business by saying, I'm going to get to a million dollars today. You have to put consistent effort over a long period of time. One of my life mantras is consistency over intensity. Everything worth having in life requires consistent action. That means the people who succeed in life, they put that time in their day to make sure that they make relentless forward progress on whatever is important to them, whether it's their relationships, their health, their business. They put a little bit of effort every single day. They don't kill themselves by trying to do it all on a weekend or on a weekday. They put some time in that day every single day to make progress towards their, their goals. Now, by time boxing, you learn, you say, let's say you're, you're writing a book. Okay, so this is a process I used for myself. It was by putting that time in my calendar that I could say, well, let's see, when I give myself an hour, I write about this, this much. You know, I do this for a week. Okay, here's how much I tend to write uh, per writing session. Well, if I have a deadline, that means I need to make adjustments. As opposed to what most people do is they put on their, cal- or they put on their to-do list, finish the book. <laughs> and then it hangs there and hangs there and hangs there and they, they never do it. Um, and so, or exercise more. Well, if you don't put in that time in your calendar when you're going to go exercise, it's not going to happen. So that process of building a time box calendar, you don't do it once. This is a very common mistake. People say, I built my calendar. It didn't work. Time boxing doesn't work. Well, you didn't use it right. Time boxing requires that once a week, at least you sit down and you assess the week that passed and you make adjustments to your week ahead. And if you say, you know what, that was too stressful. I asked too much of myself. No problem. (laughs) Build in some white space. Mm -hmm. You can do white space. If you want to build time in your day to do nothing but stare at the cracks of the ceiling, do it. I want you to do it. If you want to play video games, scroll social media, call a friend, take a walk, awesome. Do those things. But put it in your calendar so that you're not doing these things to escape an uncomfortable sensation because that's what you will end up doing. That's what all of us end up doing when we don't plan our time. We use these distractions to escape the discomfort of, ooh, I don't really want to do this task. And we're going to do that anyway. As opposed to when you make a time box calendar and you know for yourself, hmm, you know what? I got distracted from that thing I wanted to do. Well, there's only three reasons why. The three reasons are either an external trigger, an internal trigger, or a planning problem. That's it. Only three reasons. So the difference between a distractible person and an indistractable person is not that an indistractable person never gets distracted. I still get distracted from time to time. But here's the difference. I know why I got distracted, and I don't let it happen again. So Puello Coelho has a wonderful quote. He said, a mistake repeated more than once is a decision. A mistake repeated more than once is a decision. So if we keep getting distracted by the same thing, Oh, I checked email when I didn't intend to. I was on Facebook. I was looking at the news. Uh, my colleague distracted me. If you if that distracts you one time, okay, it happens. Free pass. If you keep getting distracted by the same thing again and again and again, how many times do we not stand up and say, wait a minute, I'm going to take action so that I don't keep getting distracted? Because if you don't, you are deciding to be distractible. Mm-hmm. So that's the big difference. It's about understanding, wait a minute, okay, okay, pause. I got distracted. How do I make sure that doesn't happen again? And so we're going to change that calendar based on what we learned about what took us off track. Was it an internal trigger? It's because I, I didn't feel like doing it, right? I, how do I deal with that internal trigger in a healthy way in the future? Was it an external trigger, something in my outside environment that led me off track? Or was it a planning problem that, you know what, I really should have allowed more time or more buffer for that task at hand? Mm-hmm. Well, I definitely learned that the hard way <laughs> when I was doing that. And I think that the, what you said earlier about having, it takes three times longer than you think. I definitely think that's the case. So I'm definitely changing how I'm scheduling things this week versus what the last maybe four or five weeks were. And um, that's exactly it. It's like you learn by trying and you learn by consistently, you know, tweaking it and repeating it and, you know, figuring exactly. out what actually works for you. And four or five weeks, you're ahead of schedule. That's fantastic. I mean, well, it's I don't learning know. I'm process. not there get, yet. <laughs> well, no, you, but you get the most gains in the, the, the first few months. Like now, when I revise my schedule, it, it takes me almost no time. It takes me about five minutes now. It used to take me 15 minutes. Now it takes me five minutes. Uh, but you have to plan that time as well, right? What most people do is they, they messed up the prior week, and then they don't make any time to, to, to reflect on, well, how can I make the next week easier to follow my schedule? Yeah. Right? So one, and I still change it. You know, so recently, I used to always write in the morning. And then recently I found, you know what, when I'm writing in the morning, it, in the back of my mind, I, I worry about what emails I might have gotten overnight. You know, now I'm in Singapore as opposed to in New York. So now that I have this time zone change, I find that I have a lot of more emails when I wake up in the morning. And so I change my schedule. Now I write in the afternoons and I check my email in the morning. You can do that. You can be flexible with your schedule, 
but don't do it in the moment. Do it with intent so that it's for tomorrow you change your schedule. Don't change your schedule in the moment because then you're not following your schedule yeah, See, anymore. I'm doing that right now and I have to stop and I know that. It's like, you know what you're not supposed to do, but you do it anyway. But, you know, with time, hopefully you'll get there. One of the you'll things you there. just... Uh, well, <laughs> fingers crossed. Um, one of the <laughs> things you just touched on is mistakes and failure. And this is something that I mm. love talking about. Um, and, you know, one of the conversations that I was having with um, the CEO of Ghani, which is my favorite sort of fashion brand, uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, Andrea Baldo, and he was talking about like, well, it's okay to fail as long as you don't do that twice. Um, mm. And so mm -hmm. what was what, interesting, just from your perspective and about yourself, um, something that you have maybe failed at more than once. Or like where you have, <laughs> where you slip on certain things. I mean, you have so many tips. Like what, what things do you yeah. slip up on? Well, I mean, I, I get distracted all the time because when the world changes, when your life changes, uh, that means that you have new distractions that you didn't consider before, you know? Mm -hmm. So for example, uh, one thing that, that we found, and I certainly know is true, is that uh, the, the biggest distraction before COVID the number one distraction when you put when we we pull um, knowledge workers right people who work in offices the number one distraction it's not their phone it's not their computer it's other people that is the number one distraction in the workplace is your boss coming over to your desk your colleague saying oh did you hear that bit of of office gossip that turns out to be the number one source of distraction now okay you say well now we don't work from home i uh, sorry now we don't work in the office we work from home right now we work remotely well now the distraction is not your colleagues interrupting you it's your kids, <laughs> it's your family, right? It's your roommate, whatever. Uh, those things can be a source of distraction. So anytime there's you know change in our life, we have new potential distractions, and those can be not only external triggers but certainly internal triggers. So something I was guilty of, you know, last year when we were in the thick of COVID, uh, our stress levels—I mean, my stress level—went through the roof. It was a very sure. scary time. Yeah. Uh, and so what happened to our internal triggers? Now all of a sudden, there's more things to be anxious about, more things to be stressed about, more uncertainty in the world, and we were desperate for an escape. Right. We wanted to know what was going to what happened next. Where, where was the world going to go? I mean, there's so many scary things happening. We were looking for someone to give us certainty because we felt these internal triggers acutely. And so during that time, I'll tell you, I struggled. And I, I remember telling my wife, thank goodness I had written this book because I had to literally like open it back up and be like, OK, why am I so distracted right now? And then I realized, OK, I wasn't using all these tactics and I need to kind of upgrade even my own skill set. Even though I wrote the book, there were other tactics that I weren't I wasn't using. Which, which reminds me, I want, I want to make sure you understand this, Maria. You don't have to do everything in the book all at once. That's okay? just my character. The, I want to do it all. Yeah, <laughs> I hear you. I totally hear you. You don't have to do everything. You have to do one thing from each of the four strategies. Mm -hmm. That's important. Just do one thing. So if you say, okay, I have one tool that when I feel stressed, what am I going to do? Well, how am I going to deal with that internal trigger in a healthy way? Uh, am, I, am I putting... Uh, time into my calendar to live out my values, right? Maybe just do one day a week, maybe a weekend, maybe just an afternoon, start small. The external triggers, how can I hack back just one of the external triggers that takes me off track? The pacts, right? How can I use these pre-commitment devices? You already mentioned one, uh, an identity pact, calling yourself indistractable, if that resonates with you. So as long as you're doing one thing from each of the four big strategies, you're on track. And what you're gonna find is that when you need more, right? When you need more ammunition, you can crack open the book and implement another tactic and another tactic. And, and that's how we uh, we face these these new challenges that come our way. I certainly did. No, I think when, when you're trying to tackle too much, it's the same thing as when you're trying to, you know, get in shape. If you're trying to go all all in, you know, you just kind of fall off the wagon. Yeah. You're too tired. I that's mean, right. I, as I said, you know, I had like a mental breakdown pretty much. And then I had to say, okay, let's just take it, you know, one step at a time. And there's certainly right. lots and lots of practical tips. And I love, actually love how your book is written, which is in these like Thanks. very, and because the first time I read it was I just flicked through it. And I wonder if mm. you were right. Well, you're obviously writing for a distracted um, reader. <laughs> yes. So if they're distracted, <laughs> they have those, you know, those tips that you can just quickly dip in and out. And, you mm. know, it's, it's, it's so easy to read it in different ways. And I love that. So one of the Thank questions you. I, no, I I definitely did write it for a distracted audience, but, but th that is to say the one mistake that people do sometimes make is that they want to get to the tips and tricks mm -hmm. and the tips and tricks only take you so far because if you don't deal with the internal triggers first and foremost, and you skip ahead and you figure out like, well, here's how I'm going to hack back email. I'm telling you, it's not going to work. Yeah. You have to start first with those internal triggers. That's the most important step because fundamentally look, procrastination, distraction, 
it's not a character flaw. There's nothing wrong with you. You're not broken. It's simply that we haven't learned to deal with discomfort in a healthy manner because mm. time management is pain management. Mm. No, that's definitely the number one thing for me. And I love that. Um, one of the things that I wanted to ask you is that what did you leave out of the book? What did I leave out of the book? Um, so frankly, I, 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 there was a whole section on addiction uh, that I, that I left out, um, because, um, addiction, I, many people think they are addicted to technology and they're not, <laughs> uh, that it's, it's, uh, it's, it turns out that addiction is a pathology. It's something that a very small percentage of the population has, uh, a very big percent of the population thinks they're addicted. Uh, and it's not true. They don't have it. They don't have this pathology of an addiction. And this is very typical of moral panics that we, you know, they used to think that the radio was addictive and then television was addictive and the comic book was addictive and uh, the bicycle, everything was going to melt your brain. And it turns out that it's not. Uh, but I left it out of the book because uh, very few people actually struggle with the problem of addiction. The vast majority of us are not addicted. We are distracted. Mm. No, for sure. That's absolutely the, the case and the other question i have which is what i always ask um and this is centered around leadership like what does leadership mean to you what does leadership mean to me leadership means um charting a path from the front right that uh, i i always i like this idea of a leader doesn't say charge a leader says follow me that's leadership uh and in all aspects you know I, i've run two companies and uh as ceo and um, I always remember kind of having this image that like the leader should always have the answers, <laughs> that the leader is supposed to know where to go, like uh, orienteering. And I found as I matured as a leader that um, not only do people uh, not expect that of leaders, they, they, the way to ingratiate yourself to people and get them to want to follow you is to show vulnerability, mm -hmm. is in fact to say, look, I don't know the answer. Um, all I do is, uh, you know, the, my job is to make a final call, but I almost never want, it's almost like the president's veto. You know, if you think about the president of the United States, the president of the United States has the veto power, but almost never uses it. It's pretty rare. Uh, so the idea of a good leader is to help the team develop their own consensus around a decision. But when the buck stops, they're kind of the, 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 the final, they have the final say when a decision needs to be made, if it's a tiebreaker, if it's a, 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 a course of action that the leader thinks is a very bad course of action, sure, they should step in. But by and large, it's about, uh, uh, it's about gaining consensus uh, within mm. a team. It's something that I talk a lot about when we're having conversation around like leadership. And one of the main things for me is that openness to admitting that you don't have all of the answers. Because if you Amen. did, why do you need everybody else to be there? Or, you know, yeah. then you can just, you know, dally, you know, we need robots for that kind of a, a leader. Because um, <laughs> exactly. if they know everything that needs to be done, you just need to have, you know, those um, things aligned for, for it to happen. Uh, but actually, right. we're, you know, we're working with people. And, you know, how you manage that um, is incredibly important. And when we talk about distraction, um, especially, you know, one of the things that you're talking about slipping up on, on when things change, but also, you know, you can't control others around you. Um, so mm. communication becomes essential to that, um, to that part and how yeah. we communicate what's distracting to us, because that must be also different things, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I would also add that I think the a leader's most important job is prioritization, especially a CEO. I would argue, you know, I do a lot of angel investing. Uh, and and I would say when I look for a, 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 a leader to invest in a, for, of a startup, I look for a good prioritizer because that's really the CEO's only job. Everything else is details. If your your job is to kind of see the thirty thousand foot view as a leader in your in your scope of work and to properly prioritize. Uh, far too many leaders get into the weeds and do the work as opposed to understanding, no, 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 your job is to prioritize what comes first, what comes second, what comes third. It's not an easy job, but it's the most important function. Mm, totally. And I think that plays in very much into how to stay in traction and how to be in that flow and how yes. to, you know, because there's so many things as a, as a leader you have to be focusing on, you know, and, you know, lots of ideas, lots of things come at you and you're like, oh, I want to do it all. But, you know, how do you right. ensure that you And it can be a distraction. Absolutely. Exactly. They can be Anything with the best be. intentions. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You know, oh, this is good for the company or let me just jump in and do this work when really, you know, that's not your job. Yeah. <laughs> your job should be to stay focused on what you need to do for your job. And just because it's it's can be done doesn't mean it should be done. Mm. No, absolutely. 
Well, I know we've got four minutes to go, so I don't know if we have time to take a question. Let me see if I open the hand raising and see if anybody would like to ask a question. Otherwise, will you disappear? Will you turn into a pumpkin exactly at two o'clock? <laughs> I do. I do, you know I do follow time boxing, so I do yes, have a, a, yes, another yes, yes. obligation here at nine. <laughs> That's <laughs> but, okay. Well, if I, anyone wants to raise to. their hand, we can take. Well, actually, you know what. I think it's going to be tough in three minutes, but uh, I really want to thank everyone. Well, Nia, thank you so much for coming on to the show and for sharing your insights and your wisdoms and for talking about your book. I mean, Indestructible is is just one of them. And as I said, you know, I'm, I'm reading Hooked right now, which is, I think, essential reading for everyone. But I think in terms of, you know, how, you know, when you talk about time management is pain management and the fact that we are all running away from discomfort. That's just how we are wired as human beings. That's the essential part of, um, you know, figuring out what's important and how to stay on track. And if you can kind of crack that, I think that will make a massive difference in your life. So I just encourage everyone to go ahead and and get those two books and to follow Nir and, you know, for, for him on here and, you know, on all. actually, what's the best social platform for you? Sure. So the best place to go is my website, nearandfar.com. There's actually an indistractable workbook there. Uh, it's totally free uh, that you can sign up whether you buy the book or not. We actually, that's something I left out of the book was the workbook. <laughs> so you can get that for free at nearandfar.com. Near is spelled like my first name, N-I-R and far.com. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. And if any last words, anything that you'd like to say at the end, otherwise I will close the room. Yeah, no, I, th I think, uh, you know, I, I just want to reinforce again that we are way more powerful than these technologies. We are way more powerful than these distractions that anyone can become indistractable. Thank you so much, Nir. And enjoy the My rest pleasure. of your thank day. pleasure. Thank you. What a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us here on Anatomy of a Leader podcast. I hope our guests' leadership journeys resonate with you and make you feel like you too can take on the world. If you'd like to be mentioned here on the show, head over to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, rate, and leave a review, and I will pick the best one to mention in our next episode. Tell a friend, share on social media, I'll make sure to support you there also. And let me know what inspired you, what changes you've made, and how you too succeeded against all odds. You can find me on Instagram and LinkedIn with the handle MariaHVO, or just search for my very long surname. And if you're hiring leaders to take your business to the next level, reach out to me on LinkedIn. Again, that very long surname or Maria HVO. Thank you again for being here on Anatomy of a Leader. Bye for now.